pictures, empty space In the bed we used to share This empty place There's nothing left for me here And as much as I try to rise again I get a little taste of my own sins Who cares about destiny? I'll shape my own destiny Welcome to the Podcast of Power, a Shira and the Princesses of Power companion and rewatch podcast. I am one of your hosts, Nero. And I'm the other host, Jane. And once again this week, we have a very special intro, uh, courtesy of uh, Rainary. Uh, you can find her over at twitter.com slash Rainary. Uh, she does a few very interesting and wonderful uh specific uh songs um definitely check them out you have uh ghost and after the war as well but i would maybe skip those uh if you haven't quite caught up yet uh, there might be some content in there that's a little spoilery but uh we hope you enjoy uh empty space as uh this week's intro I would just like to start this episode by saying uh, welcome to any new listeners we might have from our guest spot on She-Ra Progressive of Power, the other She-Ra podcast out there in space. Yeah, welcome, welcome. We uh, we actually just looked at the the numbers while we're recording. Apparently we've gone up 60 downloads, uh, so that's pretty good. Pretty big jump. Thank you all. And I hope you enjoy this one as well. But it's hard. Uh, it would be hard to not enjoy this episode because we're going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 11, uh, which is not called Promises. It is called Promise. And if I would hazard a, a uh, maybe hyperbolic statement, I would have to say uh, this is probably one of the best episodes of this entire show. Oh, yeah. Like, big time. I We had this discussion, and I'm not sure if we had it on the show, but we had this discussion at some point of, like, what our favorite season one episode is. And my initial reaction was definitely uh, Princess Prom, but, like, after we talked about it, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty on board with, with Promise being the best, because it's just, like, so much happens in this episode, and trust me, you're going to hear about every inch of it because there is something to talk about in almost every scene of this. But yeah, so much happens. It's so character dense. Um, it's it's a really really phenomenal piece of writing. In television, there's a thing called a bottle episode. If you don't know what that is, it is when you uh, severely restrict your cast and your location. Uh, down to like two or three characters and and only one setting uh, which results in some it can result in some really really good character drama and moments like the uh, the best episode of Breaking Bad is is the the bottle episode the fly um, directed by Ryan Johnson by the way uh, and this is Shiraz bottle episode. I think it is the only bottle episode in my uh, remembrance of of the show, and it works extremely well because this is an episode all about Katra and Adora. Yes, our our two. Well, I guess 
right now not not our two heroines but you know our two our two leading ladies uh and they're uh they're having a real time of it uh for the vast majority of this episode yeah they are um i guess we should just go ahead and, and start in usually for these uh shows we we jump around the episode to the big moments but as you said jane this episode is nothing but big moments and there's always so much to dig into in every single one of these scenes so we're just going to start from the basically the beginning here um where the setup for this is that catra has followed adora into this first one's ruin and the uh, door was locked behind them and they're being chased by hordes of first one security spiders yes because uh as it turns out um catra is there to recover some first ones tech and while adora is uh kind of fussing around with the uh first ones sort of alexa situation uh, that they've got um trying to answer any questions whatsoever um catra's like oh found one and she pulls a, a data disc out of some sort of plinth and uh everything kind of goes downhill from there very very fast adora like instinctually shoots a laser out of her sword and almost takes catra's head off so that's be careful with that adora yeah, she's got, uh, you might say, cat-like reflexes. Thankfully. Um, before that, though, I, I do just want to shout out once again Amy Carrero. Great comedic voice acting as Adora just keeps getting more and more exasperated at this, like, stupid Alexa thing that just keeps repeating the same spiel over and over again when she talks about how to heal people. Yeah, she's having a real glimmer of a time about it. Just, like, just the most annoyed possible. She basically asks to speak to the manager of the Crystal Castle. <laughs> yeah, Dora is just like, hey, Light, Light Hope's your manager, right? Can I speak to her? Um, so then the spiders come, which is a sentence you never want to hear in your life. Uh, and, and Adora sort of collapses a tunnel behind them. And she and Catra finally get this first chance to talk since Catra let her go in No Princess Left Behind, which is immediately what they start talking about here because Ketra says, I knew you were going to be weird about that. It's not, I told you it's not because I like you. Yeah. And of course, Adora's just like, um, oh, I mean, I didn't say anything. <laughs> Catra kind of sort of a doth protest too much situation a little bit. Oh, quite. Um, the, the faces in this episode uh, all around are incredible. Like we, we, we've talked at length about, the facial animation in the show and how good it is, but it shines bright in this episode. Um, comedically, dramatically, like everything, every, every facet is up to 11 here uh, and on full display. Yeah, we get like, th this is, I think, maybe my favorite example so far that we've seen. Um, and maybe my favorite example in the show as a whole of like one of the principles we've talked about a couple of times, which is like, they will take the characters, um, facial expressions in particular, um, off model in like these really comedic sort of moments, but that's balanced out really well, um, by these very, very subtle, tiny, tiny facial details that they put in to, um, to the more dramatic bits and this episode balances those really really well like they don't ever feel too much in either direction it always kind of suits uh the mood of it and uh and i'm a huge fan of it 
Yeah, it's uh, fantastic. And uh, while we are talking about the faces, we should shout out a few of the crew, I think. Um, first of all, this episode was written by Noel Stevenson. Um, of course, it's the it's the big dramatic Catradora angst episode. How, how, could, how could they keep their hands off of this one? Oh, yeah. Non-binary legend Noel Stevenson once again delivers. Coming through. Uh, it is storyboarded by Polly Guo and Mickey Quinn. Now, Mickey Quinn is a name that I know from just sort of watching the, the, the Twitter of the crew because she is responsible for almost every Catradora-focused episode in the whole show. Yeah. Like, this is sort of almost her her project, her baby here. Um, and I think... You know, it, it can be. It's pretty easy to discern some border styles in this episode, in this show, uh, because, like, it, it, the the characters just look ever so slightly uh, different a lot of times, depending on who's boarding it. I think I like Mickey's Adora and Catra the best, though. There's just something about them that is like it just feels correct. Yeah. No. It's the style. Um, the style that she goes for. It just like. It just fits them really well, like I like the platonic ideal. I feel like of their designs. Right. This is the, like this is on the, the the guide sheet of here's what the perfect Catra and Adora look like, um, and and it's a Mickey Quinn Catra and Adora. So after they uh, have this have it out and and you know the Adora basically says, well the spiders are attacking us because you're not supposed to be here and I'm protecting you, so they still see me as a threat. Um, and Ketra says, well, I never really asked you to protect me, so I'll just, I'll just go my own way and you can stop worrying about me, which, (laughs) which, which Adora, like, Adora just has this moment where she's like, listen, I have 87 things I could say to that statement. I'm going to say none of them and just ask why you're here. (laughs) She goes, there's this moment where she like, it's. Amy Carrera, once again, fantastic delivery on all of these lines. Uh, her dramatic delivery is second to them, but the the, the delivery on the door going like, what are you doing here? <laughs> like, it's it's so perfect. You can just see her brain, like, struggle to come up with anything to say in this situation. I know. It's, uh, it's really, really good. Uh, but then at that point, both of them turn around and realize that the tunnel is blocked off and that there's only one way forward. So they just kind of have to keep walking together anyway yeah they have that very awkward like moment where you're both leaving the store at the same time but you have to go in the same direction home so you're just like not saying anything and they have this really great atmospheric um walk through this this crystal castle sort of place uh which is which is all pretty well and good with um all right listen (laughs) the people on the show worked really hard they worked incredibly, incredibly hard. The this overhead walk cycle is the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. It's in it's incredible. It's it's like every aspect of it. Like Adora is made out of triangles. She's got the tiniest hands in the world. It it looks like one of those like top down flash games from two thousand seven. A little bit. The yeah, like it's. I just I under, drawing and animating top down 
like walking animations is really really hard i understand no yeah the the perspective of it is miserable to get right like i haven't gotten it right i'm not i'm not saying that these people aren't very skilled because it is a it is a nightmare to uh to animate that but it is very funny to watch and it it's on screen too long usually (laughs) those walk cycles are only on there for a little bit but this one is on there for like two seconds and you really get to look at it and see just how Uh, listen we we're just here to poke fun it's 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 it just looked so we had to mention it it just looked so incredibly funny Listen, if we can't if we can't criticize any other aspect of the show, you have to have something to criticize, right? I feel like this show the show had to have had like a kink in the armor somewhere. Yeah, we just spend this entire show just like vomiting effusive praise all the time. We gotta have somewhere where we can just say, well, they didn't really get this one right. Yeah. Uh, and and fortunately for this show, the only thing where that exists is the funny walk cycles and not, you know, anything important. Yeah, not like important character moments like um, most other shows. So, uh, you know, they, they make their way through and they find this room of infinite darkness, which is where the real meat of the episode begins because they get scanned and the castle starts reconstructing their memories in a gigantic, elaborate, like, hard light simulation yeah well adora doesn't buy it at first she's just immediately like oh did i just fall into a trap and just choke slams katra into like a pillar just it's a very violent like elbow to the throat right like she she's spending this whole time beforehand you know trying trying to talk some sense into catcher trying to get her back on her side but as soon but the the horde training just takes over and just like Nope, time to choke slam her into the wall. She's up to something. Yeah, well, you know, we've all been there. We've all been there. Um, but this starts the first flashback to what this episode is really about, which is about really, really getting into the sort of lifelong friendship of Adora and Katra and how very, very complicated it is. Yeah, this is um, the first ones built... Uh, what is effectively a trauma machine? Yeah, like, all right, it's basically a holodeck, right? We know, we all know and love the funny holodeck from Star Trek, where you can go and have a mobster adventure, or become Sherlock Holmes for a little bit. Uh, this one is fun because a, you don't get to choose what it uh, constructs, and b, it just seems to pick the worst things to show you. Yeah, it, it seems to deliberately pick, like, just the worst imaginable memories, and it's just like, hey, do you remember trauma? Well, that's what we're here to remember. And the first memory it, it shows them is the least, like, th- there's nothing bad going on here. Um, it is, like, the most halcyon, you know, kids having fun in the horde. Sure, catch or scratch the lady's eye out, but that's just all in good fun. Yeah, sure the lady's gonna try and, like attack them now because uh adora said she was a dumb face but like again this is just this is just the horde it's all it's all just uh fun and games you know running away from a giant octopus lady and while they run they they sort of they're sort of holding hands and giggling in a very carefree manner and uh, and uh as they do the the simulation ends and they are still running and holding hands in a carefree manner um as they as they sort of realize what has happened and uh, catra 
hisses and throws it door's hand like it was some kind of like bug yeah it's uh like the that sh- the scene transition is really good like the scene transitions in general like between uh the simulated like younger versions of them and like the current versions of them are all just like really 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 powerful in this episode but like this one in particular is like definitely i think the strongest one for sure and the memories like are carrying them through uh, over that threshold and they kind of they they just catch themselves in the worst possible way afterwards yeah right like Katra this entire episode like the adora is spending the whole time trying to sway Katra. like you don't have you can just come with me you know i i i'm i haven't given up on you despite you know everything you've done like i still want to be friends with you and Catra spending the whole time sort of trying to reinforce I'm not going to apologize I'm not going to leave the whore just because you tell me to like I'm I don't have to follow you everywhere I go uh is is the main tension between these two here in this episode yeah and that that tension starts to really get like cranked down in this upcoming bit where um they kind of so they're seemingly back in the rest of the crystal castle right and they're in this big kind of crumbly room and they're having a uh they're just having a conversation about what just happened and adora almost falls into this big pit and uh katra grabs her and saves her um you know adora was like mid-sentence asking her like hey the thing i still don't get is you know why did you help me you know, why did you help me when we were escaping the Fright Zone? And Katra, she's got a few things to say about that, actually. Yeah, she basically says, like, wanted to, you think I really think I'd let Shadow Weaver, like, erase your memory? And Adora says, well, I don't know, kind of. Uh, which sort of deflates Katra a little bit. Yeah, she's like, you, you never really had that much faith in me, huh? Which, by the way, the scene of her grabbing Adora off of the off of the cliff is obviously a direct parallel to Princess Prom, where Adora does the same thing to Catra. Yes, a very very good visual parallel. And uh, right after that, like you never had much faith in me comment. There's this just really, really really good little bit where. Um, as she's walking away, her tail, like, wraps around Adora's hand and just sort of just just gives it a little just quick touch. And then uh, Adora has this, this little tiny smile. It's really, really good. Absolute perfection. Right. The, there's so many, you know, Catra has so many cat-like sort of habits and, and and animations in her within her character that really really i really love every time they pop up um because you know cats do that they like brush their tails against you and like around your around your wrists when they're when they're sort of actually i think they do that when they're like trying to ask for affection which is interesting yeah actually that's a really good point yeah that that is kind of what that is in in a lot of cats so i wonder if that was intentional i i'm gonna choose to believe that it was yes um and there's this you know there's this brief spark where you know adora says hey man i miss you and they they sort of fall back into their 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 playful teasing from the uh the first episode where they're just kind of giving each other nuggies and, and tossing each other around a bit um until adora falls through a pillar and they we get to our next memory here uh which is yeah which interestingly uh 
rather inconveniently um, ends up taking them from, oh, we're just having like a little bit of a friendly play fight to a pretty traumatic memory of actual fight training, which seems a little bit on the nose. Simulation seems to be like uh, zeroing in on certain things. Right, you have to wonder, is it pulling from Adora or is it pulling from Catra? the most trying to 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 wring the that juicy trauma goodness out of her to to sort of uh pull on um and it seems to me that maybe catra is the one who is often thinking about this stuff more right yeah catra is absolutely someone who is pretty pretty trapped in her past like i would say both of them definitely spend a lot of time thinking about their past, but Katra of the two of them is definitely much, much more beholden to it. Um, she's thinking about it dramatically more, and of course a lot of that is because, um, as we see in this scene, she, like, Katra has kind of always been a little bit of her own worst enemy in a lot of ways. She, like, will do a lot of things that she feels are just her trying to get ahead or, you know, just these impulsive things that she, she'll she do on a, on a lark. Um, but if anyone else kind of does something that makes her feel like she is being ganged up on or whatever, even if, like, that's not at all what's happening, that's kind of the way she interprets it and she, like, really holds that inside just really clutches that to her chest for a long time yeah like she uses plenty of underhanded and dirty tactics she does the old ow my leg to uh to lure adora in for a sweep you know she she does all this kind of stuff she does this forehead poke i don't know what tactical advantage that gives but it was a very sort of striking uh image there and after the the training i mean and also one, one other difference is like the the first flashback was them i would say roughly probably like eight or nine uh, maybe like young kids they these this is teen this is some teen time they're doing their their horde training uh kyle has acne rogelio rogelio has a skunk hawk looks like he listens to mcr rogelio looks fantastic um this is before he got really yoked he's much slimmer in his younger years but after all that is over you know catra storms up to lonnie is like what what was that about why did you guys gang up on me um and is sort of uh calmed down by adora seemingly but uh once adora's like hey we're, we're me and the uh guys are gonna you know, go hang out elsewhere. You want to come? And Catra's like, nah, I gotta, I gotta go cool down. Um, which is code for go into the locker room and have a moment. Yeah. <laughs> because what this exposes is the very, very deep insecurity about, like, Adora hanging out with other people. Which we've seen pop up all the time. She is so hurt, not just by the fact that Adora left, but Adora left her seemingly for, like, these goody two-shoes rebellion clowns that she knew for like an hour and a half yeah and and that really has stuck in her for a very long time when she 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 walks off uh as adora is laughing with with you know lonnie and rogelio and all the rest of them 
Um, and she just like clenches her fist as she enters the locker room and just goes to have, you know, a regular old cry in the sink. Something you do when you're very healthy and don't have any problems. Yeah, something you do when you're very, very fine and there's no problems whatsoever. And the thing is, actually, thinking about it, we've seen this exact behavior. This is how Glimmer was behaving in Princess Prom. And the the big difference, though, is that Glimmer, the way that she handled that situation was ultimately she did end up talking about it with Bo and like that conversation didn't go great the first time but like they did like figure that out but Catra's not the kind of person who talks about her emotions or her problems this is all really heavily internalized compartmentalized put between like, like it's behind 17 different layers of big spiky emotional defense walls you know like she's not willing to broach this kind of a topic and you know you can kind of understand why the horde is not exactly a place where you're encouraged to behave that way right as adora said it's uh, any any weakness you show is is very much uh discouraged and I mean, it's not like Glimmer is great at communicating a lot of times either. She's very bad about talking things out with her mom, but she's getting better at that. But yeah, Catra's environment was a lot less, you know, emotionally nurturing. Oh, also, I just noticed something very important about Teenage Rogelio. Oh, what? He's got a little, he's got a little teen mustache. He's got a tiny, he's got like a little wispy stash. Oh my god. Yeah, he's got like a... Just that little, like, peach fuzz mustache. Oh, my God. They're like a freshman year of high school mustache. It's pretty great. Oh, my God. It's amazing. I guess the other the other point of criticism I could always have about the show, not enough Rogelio. Give me more. Really? Yeah, not enough Rogelio. We we got to get more of him. Uh, maybe maybe he'll show up more in uh, the she movie. Yeah, maybe it'll be about him. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, regardless, uh, Catra gets broken out of the simulation and gets dragged away by a spider. We need to... Alright, so we've, we've been to a few f- First Ones Ruins by now, right? Yeah, we've been, to, we've been to a couple. I guess technically we've been to this one like twice now. They seem to... Uh, their idea of a security system just appears to be really big robot bugs that try to eat you. Yeah, I mean, in their defense... It seems to work pretty well. I mean, sure, but like, I mean, I guess, one, you don't have to pay robot spiders anything. Two, I guess since they're robots, they're pretty easy to control and turn off. But also just like, it's kind of gross. These are some gross spiders. Yeah, they're not great. And there's also like, the way they hoist you too is like, just really, really gruesome. Like, they, they shoot out this green sticky web and they just pull you and, uh, like, assumingly they pull you to, like, a nest location and then they eat you, uh, which is not ideal. But to actually uh, talk for a second about um, Catra in this scene. So, like, you'll notice, like, while she's getting dragged away, there's, like, a really uh, important 
thing that kind of happens here where she's getting dragged through the mirror. Adora's reaching out for her, trying to pull her back. She's obviously not able to do that. And uh, Catra gets dragged through. She's she's just despairing. Um, she's, she's crying. She feels completely hopeless. She feels like she's about to die. Um, and she's calling out for, for Adora to save her. But then she, she has this moment of, like, realization that she doesn't need anyone to save her. She can save herself. And, uh, she does a pretty good job of it. She, uh, starts kicking this thing, uh, all up and down this big red hallway. Right. I mean, we've seen lots of characters with lots of different powers. You know, Glimmer's got her magic. Shadow Weaver's got her dark magic. Redora has the sword. Bo's really good at tech. Um, Catra's just really strong, it seems. Yeah, she's just very, very strong, and she's got very powerful claws. Like, I mean, she starts tearing apart this giant steel monster with her bare hands like it's made out of tissue paper. And, uh, I mean, she she is going to town on this thing, and then, of course, right at the very end, like, right as it was about to die, who gets the who gets the last uh, the last blow? It's our good friend Adora. She's not very happy about that. No, she doesn't look very happy at all. This this scene where she Adora like reaches out to pr- to touch her shoulder, uh, and and you actually see as she touches her shoulder, Catra like tenses up, like her shoulders uh, go uh, very very tense. Yeah, her hair even puffs up a little bit actually. She quickly brushes it away, um, not really wanting, uh, seemingly like rejecting that that casual, friendly affection there, and like that that sort of becomes a theme of her continuing to push Adora farther and farther away as as these simulations go on here. Uh, even while Adora is is very you know heartfeltly saying, "I didn't want to leave you, I did, I I miss you." Um, and then the simulation, of course, we've got number three here. Um, which starts off fine. Starts off very fun. Just some fun uh, parkour out in the horde. Yeah, just some fun uh, hardcore parkour. Um, Adora is apparently the world's slowest person. Um, but as they are getting closer to the Black Garnet Chamber, they're like, oh, why don't we go inside? Uh, of course, adult uh, Adora and Catra are not exactly enthused about this memory. Right. Adora says like to Catra, you don't have to go in there um and she's talking to you know the Catra standing beside her because they both know what happened in there they both remember this but I, I also think she's you know talking to them in the past sort of like this is a very very painful memory for both of them um and we see why very shortly because while they're you know fooling around with the black garnet shadow weaver runs in she's running low on juice yeah she kind of just stumbles in grabbing the walls she is very clearly in physical pain or exhaustion or both and she has to like recharge at the garnet and uh she removes her mask um which we have not seen her do before and what is underneath the mask is just this sort of horribly scarred and, and gnarled um face we don't see much of it she's covering it with her hand um while she she yells at Adora and Catra to get out uh just so incensed that they could see her in such a vulnerable state yeah and and it's like but 
immediately after this, right, she um, she puts the mask back on, and this this very specific bit is really strong because you have this this moment where Shadow Weaver has exposed herself as a vulnerable person, as someone who can experience pain and weakness to her wards, whom her entire aura, right, of control over them is based in the idea that she is not like them, that she doesn't experience pain or weakness ever in any way, that she is always the strongest person and she has utter and complete control, and the fact that they just saw her in a state where that isn't true, uh, she's pretty not happy about it. And at first, mask off. She's just screaming for them to get out. She just wants them gone. But then the mask comes back on, and she doesn't want them to leave. There's this solid click as, as she affixes the mask uh, back into place after sort of uh, snaring Catra in this magic, uh, you know, paralyzing spell. Um, where she like gets control of her voice and, and goes into the, the sort of uh, classic Shadow Weaver, you know, punitive um, punishment voice where she... I mean, Catra's, what, like, ten in this scene? Yeah, I'd say, like, ten. And she basically says, if you ever do this again, if you ever drag Adora's bright future down with your mediocrity and your antics, I will kill you and dispose of you myself. Do you understand? Yeah, and she's she's just, she's literally paralyzed. She has been frozen in place. She has no choice but to stand there and look Shadow Weaver in the eye as she tells her in no uncertain terms, I will literally kill you if you do not stop um, acting up in any way. Sadora is fond of you. That's the only reason I've kept you around. If she wasn't, you would have been kicked to the curb a long, long time ago. Um, and before this can go any farther, Adora sort of gets in between them, and the, the Shadow Weaver, uh, you know, pulls away. And when she talks to Adora, her we, we sort of talked about this in the previous episode where we were talking about emotional manipulation and physical affection here in the Horde and how adept Shadow Weaver is because here she just completely turns on a dime. Uh, talking to Adora, she adopts this very soft, motherly, she she lightly chides Adora, oh, you can't be fooling around with Catra. You know, don't 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 be getting yourself into trouble on her sake. Um, and she, she brushes Adora's hair behind her ear and pats her on the head um, and sends them off, which is like... I mean, you don't need a clearer illustration of the dichotomy between, you know, Adora and Catra and their relationship to Shadow Weaver than that. Yeah. No, it's like it's it's really it's really quite a chilling scene actually because like it's exactly how this kind of thing goes down, right? Like you have the 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 rapid oscillation that you get between vicious anger and and rage and then this, like, cooing, comforting, like, parental presence. Like, it's, it's, it's a, it is a chilling moment because that is like, yeah, this is, this is how these people behave. It's all, it's all in the service of manipulating and molding you into the exact, uh, thing they want you to be. 
And, you know, Adora, for her part, is she's trying to genuinely help. She's trying to genuinely, like, prevent this from happening. But she is ultimately just as powerless as Katra is. It's not something that Katra sees because um, the way that this sort of thing kind of functions is that Katra is kind of a bludgeon used by Shadow Weaver on Adora. Like, if you, you know, ever disappoint me in the way Catra does, then this is the kind of treatment that you can expect. You know, she is, you know, Catra is being used as a tool to further manipulate and push Adora to behave in a certain way, both as, like, punishment and reward, right? Like, because if you both behave... You know, Catra gets to stay around, and you know, you know, I want you to be happy, Adora. Obviously, it's just like this, this horribly cruel, just vile way of of manipulating people, and it creates this dynamic where you have, you know, Adora. She starts to feel responsible for Catra. She starts to feel like like is her behavior that's going to be necessary to make sure that Catra doesn't get hurt, you know, and Catra on her end, she thinks that, you know, Adora loves being the favored child, that she, she likes to, you know, get this attention and not be the one who's constantly being hurt and that all she wants to do is play the hero and get on Shadow Weaver's good side. It really uh, pits the two of them really heavily against each other, uh, of course, to Shadow Weaver's uh, benefit. It's, it's you know, she's Shadow Weaver is very good at what she does, and what she does is horrible. Right. Like after this scene is is done, um, you know, Adora and Catra kind of uh, come back out of the simulation uh, at first. You know, back to their regular selves, and and Catra immediately like explodes on Adora. Like you. You just you always loved being her her favorite. You always loved playing the hero, while I sat there and suffered. You never actually protected me, no matter what you said. Um, and while they have this, you know, pretty raw conversation, they keep bouncing between their adult selves and the, these sort of simulated memories of of them as kids. Um, and like Catra, for, for her part has seen uh shadow weaver you know she shadow weaver only ever treated adora with any kind of, of tenderness or affection you know and, and giving her you know the impression of oh well she's the favorite she likes being the favorite and that has really really made you know made a, a deep deep scar here as as we see and she, she just tells the door to her face, I gave you the sword in the fright zone because I didn't want you to come back. I wanted you to be gone forever. Yeah, and there's there's this one very particular line also where, you know, Catra's like, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm a better force captain than you ever could have been. And, you know, Adora just like very hurt. She's like, you know, I thought you never cared about that because, you know, Adora is the kind of person who really takes people at face value she's not very good at reading into things and she's not very perceptive so for her part she just 
she believes Katra when she says these things. Um, Katra, on the other hand, unfortunately, the way that she kind of deals with it, right, her, her brain is kind of a steel trap a little bit. She's not really willing to let anybody in, but she will intentionally drop hints to try and get people to, like, pry it out of her and that sort of thing like it's 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 a fairly relatable behavior but like unfortunately Adora is not the kind of person that's gonna work on and you know Katra is really resentful of that like yeah she was lying obviously you know how could you not have ever seen that you know how could you think that everything was okay like if you had eyes you could see that this wasn't okay but, like, you know, Adora is always completely oblivious to everything. Right. And, I mean, Adora always wore her heart on her sleeve. She was always very straightforward. And, like you said, Catra's response to all of this is to put on seven layers of, of protection, five layers of smug detachment to sort of play everything off. We saw that in the, in the, in the very first episode. Her just kind of, you know, lazy... Uh, detached way of going about things but clearly she is ambitious and she does want more than just to be you know second banana to someone and yeah Dora just doesn't pick up on stuff like that she's not one for subterfuge she's not one for like she's certainly not one for emotional intelligence she's we've often said she has the emotional intelligence of a particularly stupid rock yeah, a little bit. She's she's not the sharpest tool in the shed when it comes to this kind of nonsense. It's ultimately, you couldn't really expect her to, to punch through all of that. Um, and so they get separated after this big blow-up. Um, and Catra just runs through a gauntlet of these memories until she finds herself in one last simulation. Yeah, she kind of has, she has this run through uh, essentially the, uh, the big trauma hallway where she's just reminded of all the things they just went through. And she has these just faces of utter misery and, and despair as she's going through. Like, she's, she's losing it. It is, this is, this is way too much for her to deal with. She can't handle this right now. She just wants to leave. But yeah, there there's one more memory left for her in here, and it's maybe the one that's both at the same time the most important and most tender memory uh, that we see, but also probably the one that has contributed the heaviest uh, to her emotional baggage and trauma. Right. So to set this one up, this one has them they're they're pretty young in this one i would say like maybe five four or five they're like this is they are voiced by in every other scene um the, their voices have just been pitched up versions of of amy and aj's voices um in this one they are voiced by you know actual child actors here um and we we just see this uh scene of you know, Katra huddled up on on her bunk, crying about something, and, and Adora comes in and has this moment of reassurance of like, "Listen, no matter what they do to us, I'll look out for you." Um, she says, "the the The exact line is, 
It doesn't matter what they do to us. No, you look out for me, I look out for you. Nothing really bad can happen as long as we have each other. And Catra's response is, you promise. And Catra, the adult Catra, says that along with her younger self. And that's when you know, oh, this is just sitting in the back of her mind at all times. This is the, like, er memory that everything stems from here. This is the, like... This is it. This is the the source point for all of this here. This one single conversation when they were when they were young. Yeah, this is this is the seed from which an entire trauma forest has grown. This one promise that to her has just been broken over and over and over again. Um and the way this ends Let me shout out real quick. Usually we save questions for the end of the episode. But one one came in that directly addresses this scene. It's from at Jen underscore Wyatt eight nine oh five on Twitter, who says, "Could you talk about Catra's younger self breaking the fourth wall and the impact that has on her decision?" Because what happens here at the very end of this scene is, and I should say, this entire scene is completely scoreless. There's no music, um, and at the end of the scene, you know, we've never seen the the simulation has never interacted with Catra and Adora. It's never acknowledged their presence. It's never done anything of that sort. It's just, you know, playing out like it always, like it does in their memory. At the end, young Catra stops and looks up at her older self, just right into her eyes. Um, and I and we counted. There's six seconds of complete silence as, as this happens. And the Catra sort of like, you see her deal with this you see the the the, her look into the the like most innocent and naive she ever was here this is like before this promise that she uh got from adora um and something just sort of like snaps some some breaking point is reached within her that causes what happens after that and i don't the implications of this simulation breaking the fourth wall sort of is is really interesting and i think we will talk a little bit more about that in the spoiler zone but the impact is the same which is like this is already clearly a memory catra has not stopped thinking about all this time this is a this is a memory she comes back to over and over again i bet this is a memory she came back to as soon as adora left for the first time and so to see the like literally to be acknowledged and look into the eyes of yourself at that at that point is you you realize that you know just like when she's being dragged away by the spider maybe i don't need adora maybe i maybe her promises are worthless and i just need to live for myself i can't rely on her for anything she's always let me down she's always going to let me down it's time for me to like cut myself away and i think that's the decision she comes to yes because uh the very next scene is adora uh fighting off yet more infinite spiders um and she's not doing super hot she ends up getting dangled off a cliff um begging to speak to the spider's manager and unfortunately they don't seem to speak english uh but you know katra shows up and well Okay, so Adora is dangling over the edge of this cliff, holding onto the spider goo. Catra has the sword. 
you know, she has a Hey Adora. We all love a good Hey Adora. Um, and Catra, like, just sort of ignores her pleas for help and just kind of... Just kind of starts monologuing, really. She goes she yeah she just says it all makes sense now i've figured it all out you're the problem you're the one who's always been the one holding me back you just wanted me to be your sidekick you just wanted me to like be weak so that i could always be second banana um and she sort of you know kneels down to slice away this goo that is the only handhold the door has at the moment and says leaving was the best thing that ever happened to me with this absolute this face is like this is the face of someone who's just had a mental break this is the face of someone who has just face first dove straight into a lot of delusional thinking and yeah she 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 feels like she just figured everything out she feels like yeah this you know you you leaving is the best thing that's ever happened. You know, I'm so much stronger than anyone ever could have thought I was, you know, and all it, all it took for me to understand was, was to finally let you go and decide that you, you're, you're beneath me, that you're not actually, uh, first rate, that you're second rate. And, uh, this, this is, this is not an ideal uh, thought process for her to be going through, but unfortunately, that's uh, that's kind of where we end up here. Yeah, Adora's just begging, like, please, I never meant to make you feel that way. I'm so sorry, but Catra's not interested in listening. She just leaves Adora hanging there and walks off. Um, like, yeah, it's like, and she's she's like, you know, I'm really gonna miss you, like the. She is, um, for all intents and purposes, leaving her to die, like, for real. And, you know, that's... She she has completely, in this moment, let go of Adora and has decided to, to leave. And for, for Adora's part, Light Hope finally shows up and tells her that she needs to do the same, that she needs to let go. Yeah, the light hope, the the person she's been trying to talk to this entire time, she's just been trying to find light hope, just tells her you gotta let go. And she does. She lets go of her handhold and falls off the cliff, and we we cut to black. And the end here is just a little bit of decompression with Scorpia and Trapta and Catra here in the Fright Zone. Um, some, some very, very good Scorpia here at the very end. Some, you know, once again talking about that time Catra, she and Catra were on a boat, um, which is the main thing that they, they've done together. And so it's the only thing that she can really bring up. Um... And there's this interesting moment here where, where Scorpio's like, don't you ever think, you know, have you ever just made a connection with someone? you ever just really instantly click? And then trapped in this very sort of monotone, uh, says, yeah, it was like that with Emily. With, with that really, like, it doesn't sound like she believes it, almost. Um, and we've seen Entrapta has, you know, a lot of difficulty interacting with people. She doesn't really get social interaction that much. So, like, yeah, this robot is the one I connected with um yeah and she yeah the way that she she says that she's almost like a little sad about it she's like yeah i mean it's a robot um and then catcher comes back 
looking uh, like trash from all of her adventures, and Scorpio immediately goes into uh, fussing mode and asks her. Yeah, she's just like, do you need to be nursed tenderly back to health? And Catcher, through gritted teeth, is just like, hey, remember how we had that talk about personal space? And then immediately turns around and, ha- and entrapped it is also in her face, asking if she got the tech, <laughs> which... There's this wonderful moment where Entrapta like realizes, oh right, I'm technically still supposed to be locked up in bonds because I'm still technically a prisoner, and so she just kind of jogs over and jumps into the handcuffs and says, okay, but really, did you find it though? Yeah, she's just like, she's like, okay, I'll play along, but please, I do need to know if you found the thing. Um, and they're all very happy um, that that they have the little thing. Uh, well, they're all happy with the exception of Katra, who. Uh, I imagine probably has quite a friggin' headache, and she's gonna go lay down about it. Yeah, she's had a rough day, um, and it seems like despite all her bravado and, and you know manicness there at the end on the cliff, uh, that has just sort of faded back into like who knows what's going through her head. Nothing good, I can say that. Yeah, despair. Uh, horrible regret probably like sadness that that like that moment of like false empowerment that she felt where she she was feeling very on top of the world really deflated pretty quickly when she had to reflect on all of the things she just did um, on what was probably a pretty reasonable hike back to the fright zone right all of the things she did to her best and only friend in the entire world someone she has known since literally they were babies like she can pretend all she wants that she let go of adora there but ultimately it's plain to see that like no it's not that easy you can't just do that no yeah and that's and that's the thing right like letting go like that really isn't it's not it's not as easy as just deciding that you're now cutting these people out of your life because they're very important to you they're they make up a large portion of who you are and how you see and interact with the world and uh just having a having a great big speech about how you don't need them anymore doesn't actually mean that you don't need them anymore and i think that's something that she was probably reflecting on a little bit on that ride back at least subconsciously anyway right um but that does bring us to the end of promise which once again is it it is the by far the best episode of season one which has some great episodes in it but promise stands head and shoulders for all of the amazing character work in it yeah god it was a ride and a half that one and, you know, we, we usually our first half of episodes it lasts about half an hour. We're I'm looking down here at this audio position timer. We're at 56 minutes right now. Yeah, and we've got, uh, let me let me look at the notes. We got five things to talk about in the spoiler zone, too. And we've got two questions here for the end, so. Got some questions. Yeah, strap in. We've got probably another good half hour left in us. Right. So this first question here is an interesting one. It comes from at uh, these Tara Stark on Twitter, uh, who says, "Would love to hear some analysis on the first ones writing all over the walls of the Citadel. It looks like the crew got some hidden messages in there that could be relevant." 
So we haven't really discussed the first one's writing a lot because it hasn't been uh, very prevalent yet. But they did make their own. They they made their own, you know, alphabet and a rough sort of uh, script and translation here. And and in any time you get that you can play around with some uh, hidden messages if you're an animator or a storyboarder. You know, I'm, I have never really looked that much at the, at the cipher. I've never paid too terribly much attention to the text outside of the, the parts that are relevant to the story. But, like, you know, there, the, the, there's people out there who are, who are really into dissecting this kind of stuff. Um, and just looking here at this, at this Reddit thread, we got archaeopteryx here who's who's doing a bit of like work here and maybe some of these the 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 part they're talking about is when they're walking through the citadel there is this um wall with a bunch of text written on it that they walk past uh first one's text yeah it was it was like the first hallway scene i think actually yeah and like People are saying, well, it looks like time owed or good time. Like, there's a lot of bits and pieces of text and words that maybe you could fit into something. But it's so hard to get that stuff because it, you know, it requires a cipher. It requires really, really looking at some of the at some of these texts because they they look a lot alike. They're um, the first ones weren't exactly made to be. Uh, the the first one's alphabet rather wasn't exactly made to be super readable. It was made to look really cool, uh, which it does. Yeah, one of the things that's kind of a problem with scenes like this specifically, where you want to like try and decipher it, is that the first one's uh, writing system is uh, first off, it's a glyph system, um, which is already kind of complicated. But the second thing is that it's a glyph system that's reliant really heavily, from my understanding, on very specific angles of lines and very specific placement of lines and that kind of thing. And the problem with this scene is that you have two very big shadows passing over it at any given second, and also the perspective of the scene is actually warping um, this text um, and kind of stretching it out a bit, so it kind of it warps the perspective lines on, on this text that's already, like, again, pretty heavily reliant on the exact proportion of of lines to each other so you know even the people in this particular thread who are like definitely a lot uh more knowledgeable about the first one's writing system than we are um they're having a lot of trouble with it it looks like the the general consensus seems to be uh that most of this is saying like uh, either time owed or good time, and then lesbian. I'm sure that doesn't mean anything at all. Um... Yeah, I'm sure that has absolutely nothing to do with anything. But yeah, unfortunately, we 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 aren't the ones tasked to crack any codes. We're just here to talk about Shadow Weaver, uh, which is mostly what we do, it seems. Um, yeah, we're th- we're themes likers. We like the themes. We like the the characters. That kind of thing. Sometimes you'll get some animation perspectives every now and again. Uh, but yeah, typically it's gonna be mostly themes hunting. And you know, speaking of themes, we have one more question here on our curious cat, um, our curious catra, if you will. This is from an anonymous curious cat user. They say, does catra have? Toxoplasma Gandhi? Alternatively, <laughs> does Adora have Toxoplasma Gandhi? 
And could that have been a contributing factor in her not giving up on Catra? <laughs> Sorry. Oh my god. Well, what do you think? Yeah, I know exactly who said this. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, anonymous, uh, anonymous curious Catra user. Um, that's a great question. Uh, for those of you who uh, aren't in in the know on this one, uh, toxoplasmosis is like a like a parasitic infection um, that lives in uh, typically like cat litter. Um, it comes from cats, and you can pick it up as a human being, and it doesn't do very much to you unless you're pregnant. But it is generally believed. And I don't know how true this is, but like the general belief is that if you have uh, toxoplasmosis infection, um, because the parasite um, does kind of go to your brain, the thought is that it influences you to be more um, receptive to cats. So I guess it's possible. Does Adora have cat girl loving brain worms and the answer is yes the answer is absolutely she does um i mean don't we all i mean it's true right like we we all have cat girl loving brain worms it's it's you, you can't blame the poor girl i mean we're we're all with you we're all with you adora um thank you for that lovely question anonymous curious cat user um but with that I think that'll finally exhaust our pre-spoiler talk. Um, thank you for all the questions this week. Of course, if you want to follow us on Twitter, that Twitter is at uh, Podcast of Power. We post question posts and, and you know episodes and all that on there. Our Tumblr is podofpower.tumblr.com. We don't use that for much other than you know episode posting, but. Uh, and if you want to get real deep into it, if, you want, if, if 280 characters simply isn't enough, uh, we have an email, a Gmail, that you can use to send us questions. And that email is potofpower at gmail.com. You can write us anytime about who else you think has toxoplasmosis in the she universe. Probably Scorpia, if I had to guess. Oh, definitely Scorpia. But with that, we're going to hop on over to the other side of the break. Uh, If you're leaving, then thank you for listening. But if you're sticking around, we'll catch you on the other side. Catch you on the other side. Now there's just empty space In the bed we used to share This shining place I wish with everything that you were here And as much as I try to love again I get a little taste of my own sin Who cares about destiny? I'll shake my own destiny Oh boy, okay. Um, We need to talk about Light Hope. Yeah, we need to talk about Light Hope. Okay, so... Here's my theory on this, all right? Because I, I was thinking about this while we were rewatching it, and I was like, these flashbacks are really convenient 
right? Like, obviously, you know, the, um, the first ones have built a perfect trauma engine to kind of poke and prod at you, but some of it is just a little bit too coincidental. Like, some of it just happens to slot so perfectly into the exact thought processes that they're going through, right? Like, uh, immediately after they're doing that little play fight, it launches them into a traumatic memory about them doing that when they're horde training, you know, like, I think Light Hope was manipulating them both to get them to let go of each other because it's like, it seems like every single time that they're starting to bond a little bit, they're starting to get through to each other, you know, they are on equal ground and Catra might kind of be willing to entertain what Adora is saying, you know, Light Hope, well, the simulation kind of drives a knife uh, right between them, and I think that knife uh, is Light Hope here. Right, like, eventually we learn Light Hope's true nature of a of a very manipulative sort of uh, character who, who uses Adora for her own ends of, of fulfilling her uh, programming and setting off the heart of Etheria, we also see Light Hope before all of this as someone who is very who resists her programming and has a very close relationship with Mara. Um, before Light Hope is sort of one once again reprogrammed back into her default state, seemingly. Um, and Light Hope is always telling Adora to let go. She spends the entire like next episode telling her that she needs to forget about her friends and focus on training you know the yoda special yeah i mean honestly she spends most of the runtime of the whole rest of the show saying the same general thing really only stopping during that like brief window where she's kind of reminded of her times with mara um of course that does not last very long because as soon as it's brought to the attention of her like higher cognition um the programming kicks back in and is like okay time to delete all that crap there's two moments where she sort of breaks that one of them is that episode and the other is is right before she dies um where she she sort of genuinely thanks adora for breaking the sword and thus breaking the cycle of this heart of etheria thing um, but yeah, this, I, I agree with you. I think this is very clearly Light Hope's doing. This is, you know, she, she's reaching into Catra's head to find the exact things that are going to remind her about all this stuff like that. You don't, I don't care how elaborate your memory hole machine is. Um, you don't pull something that specific out like that, just on an, on an algorithm, uh, as the as the memory at the very end, like that is a memory that is very deep seated and very painful to Catra, and Light Hope shows that to her right in the moment where she is at her most like susceptible. She is at her most, you know, like you said, she's at her at her at her point of despair. She's teetering over the edge, and Light Hope sends her over that. Yeah, she's at her most vulnerable moment, and then Lehope not just sends her over it, but she sends her careening over the side of it by that, like, really, honestly, very ham-fisted, like, use of, of breaking the simulation and having her younger self, like, say that, like, you promise, and then she just stares 
straight at Katra for like an unbroken several seconds to really to really drive that knife straight into her heart like yeah you promise you know like just really reminding her of it yeah like that is the tell that this is not just a an algorithm or an automatic machine doing what it does that tell betrays there is an intelligence here there's someone behind the scenes pulling the strings here on this simulation um and it is indeed almost certainly light hope like it's it's insidious it's interesting you know of course we uh, we love a dichotomy don't we folks light hope and shadow weaver both employing basically the same tactics here um just one of them is much more subtle about it yeah and something i actually just thought about as well like the very 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 end when they do the the let go scene actually when katra shows up um the spiders walk away yeah we see we hear her fighting them a little bit but they're we we know this castle's capacity for infinite spiders um yeah like the spiders seem to give up pretty fast or at least get defeated pretty fast and katra just kind of saunters on over and like light hope we know that whole time has just been watching them because as soon as katra leaves she just pops right up you know she's she like she's been standing there the whole time so like again that's another layer of just like that's another layer of it and then um the the hoisted scene too like why in that very specific moment why is that when the spiders show back up again like they knew where they were the whole time why is that the moment that you know they decide to hoist catra well that's because that's the moment where adora is the farthest away from her that she's been the whole time you know that is the moment where catra is the most vulnerable to getting captured and the moment when catra is able to you know, have one of her realizations that she doesn't need Adora. And, uh, you know, it's, it's it's this very subtle but very powerful manipulation that's going on. Right. Light Hope is such an interesting villain due to the fact that you don't really know she's a villain until basically the end of her arc. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting, and it recontextual... Like, the thing about it, there's there's a there's like a couple of different instances of this in the show but like light hope is probably one of the strongest examples of like there's a lot of stuff being laid down the tracks of this particular train are being laid in front of you the whole time but you don't see it until that very last moment and it recontextualizes the whole the whole affair and it's really really brilliant setup honestly like i i love when they when um when writers pull this kind of a kind of a thing it's like just this it's a, it's a really excellent reveal right um moving on a little bit from light hope we should talk about the, briefly here um there's there's lots of motifs with uh Catradora and holding hands and all that stuff which which a lot of them pop up here in this episode too um we have several shots. We have a, we have Catra catching Adora um, by the arm. We have Adora holding Catra by the arm while she's trying to convince her to, to go with her, and and Catra kind of looking at, at her hand for for a long long period of time. Uh, there's one more thing that pops up here again, and it's this this forehead touch that this this very teasing forehead touch that Catra does. Um, I think it it might only pop up 
one other time, but it's such a striking recurrence that I did have to mention in the in the portal episode. Um, oh no, I think it I think it recurs in Save the Cat too. I believe there is a forehead touch in that. Yes, there is in in Save the Cat. That's correct. There is absolutely a forehead touch. Um, I think that's I think it's a Horde Prime forehead touch actually. Um, let's talk about masks, shall we? Yes, let's have a conversation about masks, because, boy, this scene. Shadow Weaver, um, you know, is inexorably tied to her mask as, 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 as sort of her identity and her character. Um, and even then, you know, she, she, she keeps her true ambitions hidden, she keeps them shrouded. Even when she was Light Spinner, you could only ever see half of her face, right? Belying that, like... There's something else hidden here. There's something you, you can look into her eyes, but there's only so far that eyes can take you. Um, and so this moment where she takes off the mask, as you said earlier, is this moment of complete vulnerability. She's weak. She's in pain. Um, she puts the mask back on and she just pops right back into Shadow Weaver mode. And... The, the the mask stuff does not stop there. Uh, in the next few episodes, I believe in the next episode, in fact, uh, Catra is going to fight Shadow Weaver and defeat her, uh, cracking her masks like a big central crack through her mask. Which, after her defeat, Shadow Weaver never really holds that much power over anyone ever again. She spends a lot of her time as a prisoner, and even when she is manipulating others, uh, she has to take a more careful tact because she is dealing with people who know her tricks. So it's as if Catra cracking this mask um, in the next episode sort of lays a bit more of her bare, where she has to... She's certainly more honest after that. She has she She has that conversation with her in the prison, she she talks to Adora um, in season three. She she is not fully mask off. She's not bearing her heart to anyone, but she is certainly in a position that marks her as much less powerful and having to deploy a certain level of truth uh, in her conversations with other people. Yeah, she is. She is being exp- her vulnerability is being exposed. Um, in a way that she no longer has control over and she has to deal with it she has to work with it and she kind of folds that vulnerability back into her facade it becomes part of it but there is a there is a moment and a fairly extended moment where that vulnerability um, being exposed is not something that she can handle she is in abject misery about it and barely holds together. Um, but that once once she gets this this feeling that she can manipulate her way back uh, to where she needs to be, you know, it all kind of just comes back together under the mask, just kind of like in in this scene here in Promise, because. Like, Catra once again presents this opportunity to her for her to put the mask back on, to use her as a tool and an instrument to 
belie that vulnerability, to force someone else to take on the burden of that vulnerability so that she can feel strong. And, you know, she she proceeds to do that. It, she does it differently. She's not, of course, threatening Catcher with mortal danger. Instead, she tries to relate to Catra, to speak to Catra as more of a mother figure, as sympathetic, as, you know, she's she tries to kind of get get on a level with her. And of course this is all to you know, this is all means to an end uh for her, but Catra is, of course, deep in the throes of being horribly manipulated uh throughout that entire affair. Right. And there's one more instance of shadow weaver losing the mask and then we're gonna have to break our uh our heart part two embargo for a little bit here to talk about some things of course i am referring to her literal final moments um in the heart part two where she is is begging catra to go on to take a door to the heart um and she punctuates that by removing her mask for the first time and showing catra her true face her you know her bearing her soul to her basically before um sacrificing herself to stop that monster um and the the final shot we have as they as they walk away after that is her mask laying on the ground uh completely shattered because there's no like there's no power she holds over them anymore there that connection is severed they are kind of free to go on without that visage looming over them anymore it's there there's no there's no power left in those you know the the blank red face looking down on them yeah exactly like the it's this it's a it's an extremely powerful shot actually that very very last shot and i think that shot also might be punctuated by by silence i would of course we're gonna have to rewatch that in uh in the future so we'll we'll be able to kind of tap into that but it's um it's just this very powerful shot of them leaving behind this shattered facade um of of manipulation and cruelty that had been looming over them for so long um they're leaving behind interestingly that that's the only remnant that's left of shadow weaver she the person who dropped the mask the person who in that very last moment bore her soul and did one genuinely selfless act you know that person vanished completely vaporized there's no trace of her in that room whatsoever the only thing left is the shattered pieces of the of the facade of nightmarish abuse that's that that was left you know that is the legacy that she left behind and stay in heart part two land for a little bit there's another thing we need to talk about here that that you know after that they they walk into the the fail safe and we know what happens from there um but there is a you know we talk a lot about parallels there's a big one here in this episode, um, Katra is looking down at Adora dangling over a cliff, telling her to, you know, she doesn't need her. She she can just kick rocks for all she cares. I'll, I'll be stronger without you. And she watches her fall. 
um, and there's this this big swelling musical track playing in the background from, I believe, the the soundtrack Promise. Um, flash forward a few dozen episodes, and the scene where Adora is sort of succumbing to this virus. She's she's in the the bonds of of the of, the, of Horde Prime's virus, and Catra is reaching down to help her and and saying that she's always loved her. Uh, that literally the same song is playing the exact same part of the track as when Catra like slices away the 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 green ropes holding Adora up. Like it's the the you cannot get clearer parallels than that. That is the uh, that ever since I noticed that. It's just been stuck in my mind this whole time because, like, wow, that's. I, I was always looking for the the part of the the track heart part one, um, which is what plays during that entire sequence, of like, well, where's that? Where's the part where she's reaching out? Where's the part of where that plays over the love confession? And I could never find it. It just seemed to like go from one part of the song to the other until I realized that that's that part isn't in that song at all. That motif is not in that song. Uh, it is in Promise, and it is the same track that plays over over that pivotal scene at the very end. Yeah, it is, oh, it is a strong parallel. It is a, you know, if we, if we had to rank them, I feel like this is maybe one of the strongest in the whole show, actually. Phenomenally powerful, and also just the title of the track is like, yeah, yeah, like bringing back the concept of, of this promise for that scene is a big deal it it kind of it kind of becomes their new promise to each other you know which they also made a promise together earlier in that season in save the cat where when when catcher is sort of dangling off the edge of that cliff or about to fall off adora says i am going to take you home and and catcher says you promise and adora says i promise and she keeps that promise. She does take Catra home. She does fulfill that, um, which I think is is what sort of Catra has been holding onto that memory her entire life. Uh, it's it's been this sort of raw nerve of pain at her very core. Every time she's interacted with Adora, and this this second promise, this this new promise that Adora fulfills, and and. It, it, it sort of overrides that. It sort of allows her to, to almost begin again and, and put her trust in Adora again after everything that they've been through. Yeah, exactly. Like this is this is their new their new promise to each other. They've it's season five is in I think the core of it is um reconciliation and acknowledgement you know it's it's bringing these really critical core issues um between all of these people and pulling them out just ripping them out and throwing them on the ground and forcing them to confront them um in usually the messiest way possible and you know the the reconciliation that kind of follows the the way that they deal with that and that that new promise i think is a really big part of it right like this like you said you know this is adora fulfilling uh her word you know not that 
Adora hasn't been trying to fulfill her word before, but this is this is the first time that she's proven to Katra in more or less the entire course of the show that she will follow through on that, that she does care and that she does fully intend to be there for her. And it's it's a it's a very powerful moment. Really, this this episode is the bedrock of the entire relationship, pretty much. Um, it's it's been established through various means in the previous episodes, but this is where it starts. This is where the lines are drawn, and it's also where we see this habit Catra sometimes falls into this trauma response she has, where it, it she just starts like melting down and pushing everyone away and, and and getting these illusions of i don't need anyone which is never any stronger than you know in season four that's all of season four yeah season four is just a very very slow nuclear meltdown um while Katra just kind of pretends everything is fine of course culminating in uh that one particular scene and i can't remember what episode it's in but the bit where she's like uh yes we're winning uh our troops are are taking things as we speak uh don't worry hordak everything is fine as soon as he's off the screen she just breaks down in this disheveled destroyed control room as like everyone and everything that she cares about has left her and like everything's fallen apart and not even her plan is working anymore and she's just completely self-destructed 100 percent um that's that's kind of the culmination but here in this episode once again the foundation of it the 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 precarious house of cards the very first card is laid here where she first kind of goes into this self-destructive delusion of like her being the only person she needs and the mission being the only thing that matters and that's actually there's kind of a very interesting like parallel between her and Adora with this because while Adora on her face right like she's relying on her friends and she has these these relationships and whatever but despite you know appearances making it seem as if she does not have the same issue here in reality adora is still the only person who she feels is holding the mantle she's the hero she has to be the person who takes on this responsibility right and she very much does feel similar to katra in that you know the mission is kind of all that matters at this point that the the human connection you know for her is more important but is still secondary to the mission to making sure that that these things go as planned that she you know is able to fulfill her destiny to save uh people to you know for her to become um become the hero here and of course this is reinforced really heavily by a lot of characters in the show intentionally or not including you know of course our good friend light hope turns out noel stevenson is pretty good at writing television yeah huh like yeah non-binary legend noel stevenson excuse me i forgot their proper title you can't you can't forget the proper title it's it's critical but with that 
<sighs> yeah, what an episode, huh? It's staggering how important it is. It is the linchpin of the entire show, I think, this episode. Like, it's so dense with all of these character interactions and all of this. Like, you really dig deep into these characters' trauma and interconnectedness. Like, it, it, it is... It is really unlike any other any of its contemporaries at all. Maybe a few that I could think of sort of almost get here, but never this good. No, yeah, like this is this is a show that you can tell has been very heavily written. Like this is the kind of this is the kind of writing of somebody's like pet project, you know what I mean? Like this this is like this is somebody's baby. Um probably several people's baby. And they've put many years uh, into making making the show what it is. There's a lot of very, very concerted effort to making sure that all of these very fragile puzzle pieces just slot in just so. And uh, you just don't you don't see that level of care being taken with a lot of other programming and that and and i want to be clear that's not the fault typically of like showrunners or or people working on them because a lot of times you don't actually get the opportunity to do that to take that level of care with it but the fact that they were given the ability to do that um i mean we're we're all benefiting from it here like this this show is phenomenal uh because of all of that extra care and attention Indeed, indeed. Um, but with that, we've talked an hour and a half about this episode of television, and honestly, I could probably still talk a little bit longer about it. Yeah. But we won't keep you any longer, dear listeners. Um, finally, we will we will let you go out of this uh, simulation of a podcast. And once again, our uh, special intro and uh, break segment this week was... Empty Space by Rainary of twitter.com slash Rainary, spelled R-E-I-N-A-E-I-R-Y. Check her stuff out. It's very, very good. Um, Until next time, I have been one of your hosts, Nero. And I've been the other host, Jane. And we'll see you on the other side of Podcast Spondos.